Podcasting from our secret compound in Silicon Slopes, Utah, overlooking the entire Utah Tech Corridor, this is the Utah CTO Show. Bite-sized interviews with Utah's tech leaders where we dig into the growth of the Utah tech scene, the stories behind some of the greatest local successes, and the secrets to growing tech leadership in Utah. And now, here are your hosts, Chris Jenkins and Brett Flake. All right. Welcome back to the Utah CTO Show. I'm Brett, and I'm here. So unfortunately, Chris is not able to make it today. He's out on a business trip, but um, we were able to find a guest co-host. So I'm here with Saro Iskandarian, who is the Vice President of Product at Duello. Hello. And my coworker. So he'll be joining us today. And today our guest is Jesse Dowdle, who is the CTO at Motivocity and who's been around the Valley formerly the CTO of RisePoint and VP of Technology at Workfront. Hey, guys. How's it going? Welcome. We're super happy to have you. Glad to be here. All right. So, um, Jesse, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and, and Motivocity. Sure. Happy to. You know, you're right, Brett. I have been here in the Valley for a little while. I actually graduated from BYU, what feels like many years ago now, but I've spent my whole career in software here on Silicon Slopes, and it's been really fun to watch the community continue to develop. I grew up here in Utah in the shadow of the word perfect buildings <laughs> and watched that turn into Corel and Novell and, and watched that expand. And then, you know, we've had successive generations of tech companies here in the Valley ever since, and it just continues to grow and grow. The place I'm at right now, Motivocity, is one of those great tech companies that was founded by a, a multi, uh, you know, a multiple time entrepreneur, Scott Johnson, the founder of Workfront. Founded Motivocity. Awesome. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, I spent a lot of time at Workfront. Scott and I uh, worked hard on that together. And I'll, I'll take like one half of 1% of the credit for the success Workfront has <laughs> become. Uh, but after going to Rice Point and uh, working there with um, some other former colleagues, other executives, uh, it was always sort of in the back of my mind and hopefully in the back of Scott's mind that maybe we'd get the band back together someday <laughs> and do another tech company. So Motivocity is a company built around building cultures of motivated employees. It's technology to help people appreciate and recognize one another in the workplace, uh, which feels like a really worthwhile problem to be working on. Mm. And yeah. uh, the two of us are, as well as some other really great seasoned executives here from Silicon Slopes are are just uh, along for the ride, it feels like at this point, with all the success that Motivocity is having. Um, it's it's a really great time to be in tech yeah, here great in to Utah. Hear. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because you mentioned you got your degree from Brigham Young University, but uh, that's uh, it's not a tech degree, correct? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Does liberal arts count? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I double majored in communications and history. And uh you know, that's people always laugh at that because it sounds like it's about as far away from a CTO type position as you can imagine. But I learned a lot of really valuable things, um, think, you know, skills that have benefited me, as particularly as a business leader, uh, by going through that. You know, on the communication side, that's self evident. You learn how to talk to people, and you know, how to, uh, you learn how to express your opinion, um, and you know, how to persuade, or you learn how to persuade people. And uh, I, in particular, as an emphasis, I was involved in journalism. So I was doing a lot of writing. And uh, history degrees are the same way. You do a lot of writing in history. And so learning to communicate both verbally and uh, with the written word turns out to be really, really valuable when it comes to business. Yeah, you got a communication major, international studies minor over here. So well, there you go. Sorry. I will not laugh at you. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. 
and you know, after getting my degree, you know, I had those skills, but no marketable skills. <laughs> and I was looking for a job. A friend of mine had a, a job as a game designer at a local indie video game studio, and they needed somebody who could write character bios, who could who could write out you know storylines, plot lines for these indie video games that they were <laughs> nice. developing. So I got a job there as a writer. That's cool. And uh, sat they sat me down with a. Uh, an intern, a former Microsoft intern, engineer on one side and another engineer on the other side. And those guys wrote C++ and I wrote English prose. <laughs> and after a little while, you know, I just kind of got uh, to fall in love with the industry, with technology and building cool software products. Learned a little bit about um, ActionScript, which was uh, a popular language at the time because rich internet applications were really only deployable on the web using plugins like Silverlight or Flash. And as a result of learning ActionScript and developing some facility with object-oriented programming, I caught the attention of a recruiter for a little company in Utah called AtTask at the time who was trying to build their own rich internet application <laughs> using Flash and having a hard time finding someone who knew ActionScript. I faked my way through the interview process <laughs> and got hired there as one of the first engineers at AtTask, which eventually became Workfront. Yeah. <laughs> so that's sort of how I, you know, moved from communications and history into the technology industry. Yeah, that's funny. You know, that faking it until you make it is for real. And maybe you, you say you kind of faked the interview, but I imagine there was some real skill there just that you maybe didn't feel as confident at first, or was it for sure faking it? <laughs> maybe we could talk a little bit about interviewing for technology jobs because yeah. it can certainly be intimidating. You know, I've had the good fortune to interview probably hundreds of engineers at this point and have mm -hmm. been through a few interviews myself. And they're always nerve wracking. There's nothing wrong with that, having a little bit of butterflies. I mean, your whole work <laughs> experience and, and who you are as a person is sort of held up for judgment yeah. when you go into an interview setting. But there are some skills that I think will always pay off. I'm going to not talk so much about the technology part because I think that's self-evident, right? Mm -hmm. You've got to be able to code in the language that you're claiming to be able to in order to get a job in tech, yeah. right? But being able to demonstrate that you understand the product space that you want to work in is important regardless of the role. I've always been turned off by engineers when I say, well, you know, what, what gets you excited? What, you know, you get up in the morning and they say, well, I just like coding. <laughs> like, that's great. There are a lot of places you can go and just like coding and be just fine. But if you can show to your interviewer, if you can demonstrate that you have an understanding of the business under which you're going to work, that you have a sense of maybe what the customers are like and what they care about, you have a desire to use your skills and technology to build products or build solutions to the problems that those customers are going to face, that's going to position you as something more than just another engineer with a degree from wherever and maybe demonstrate that you're a little more well-rounded. I think that's really important, and I think that paid off for me when I was interviewing. It didn't really have great technical chops. The one other thing I looked for is hunger. You know, I look for people to apply who are not overly comfortable, who have a desire to get better. They serve a mindset of improvement and are willing to be scrappy in their job. You know, when I did that first interview, I told you I was working at the video game company at the time, and I'm not going to say the name of the company because I was making less than what I probably would have made working at like Forever 21 in the mall <laughs> or something. Um, I was, it was working for nothing. And uh, I had a wife and a little baby at the time. And so I was actually working jobs after work as well. I had two or three different jobs I was working to try and make ends meet. And they committed an interviewing faux pas when they asked me how much I was making. They're not supposed to ask that, right? Mm -hmm. And then I 
was just as silly and Your I complaint. answered <laughs> yeah. the question. I said what I was making and, and the interviewer laughed at me. He actually laughed oh, no. and he said, I don't think we're going to have a problem you know, taking care of you. Uh, they offered me the minimum yeah. of the salary <laughs> range and it was 20 percent more than what I was making at all of my jobs combined. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so you know, I happily took it. But my point is simply this, that I think I demonstrated in that interview that I was willing to work. Yeah. You know, I was willing to work hard, do whatever it took to be successful. And they took a chance on me. I'm sure they thought, yeah, whatever, we'll give this guy 90 days and we'll see. <laughs> you know, if he can't really hack, he, he might wash out. That's fine. It's no skin off our nose. We're paying him the minimum anyway. Yeah. But, you know, I was willing to work. And uh, my first day on the job, I worked 17 hours because the guy wanted me to implement a feature on my first day. You know, <laughs> then that was sort of the mentality of the business at the time. And that's one of the reasons why Workfront is one of the most highly valued private companies in Utah right now. It's because of that. At the end of the day, it's about effort and grit and being willing to be scrappy and just make it work. Yeah, no kidding. My most recent interview experience, it wasn't too nerve-wracking, but Sorrow was a part of it. I was. <laughs> Why did you hire me? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. It feels like so long ago. Yeah, I I think your your communication style and the way that you – presented yourself certainly had a lot to do with it. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we were really looking for in your role was the ability to sort of synthesize information, come up with a plan and then sort of lead a team toward it. And to me, you demonstrated that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. That's a little self-serving. I, I just really wanted to find out <laughs> what Saro thought of me. <laughs> I, I do think, I do think your point about communication being a key skill no matter what, is a really important one because I bet if we all think about the engineers that we've had sort of difficulty integrating into a team or, or getting to be productive, a lot of times it's not coding talent that's the barrier, mm-hmm. right? It's the ability to work with others, communicate effectively that really sort of sinks people more than, you know, I, I can't figure out how to code whatever. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so That's a really great point, Saro. I couldn't agree more in and especially here in Utah, I mean, we have we have some companies that are focused on, on very low-level coding or even, I mean, I know Duello is kind of a mix of software and hardware, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're working on really hard problems from an engineering perspective where the spectrum of talent that can make positive progress on those problems is pretty small. Yeah. But a lot of the companies here are enterprise software companies. And spoiler alert, but writing enterprise software is not the most difficult challenge in computer science. (laughs) And so there are a lot of people that can do that job. As as scary as that might sound, if you're thinking about applying, you know, interviewing and applying here in Utah. And so you do have to differentiate yourself by being a little more broad. There's a a term I really love. It's called being a T-shaped person. And what that means, a T-shaped person, what that means is, They're really deep in one particular area. They have a specialization Mm. in one area, expertise, but they're both curious and have some aptitude for adjacent areas. So an engineer who's a T-shaped person might also have some design skills or maybe they have some product skills. Quality assurance engineer who's a T-shaped person might be able to do some automation engineering as well as some manual QA. And when you get a whole team full of T-shaped people where each member of the team brings some deep level of expertise in one domain – but appreciation and facility for their adjacent domains, you get a really powerful effect from that, a synergy within that team. And so, you know, I'd encourage anybody who's thinking about 
developing their skills and getting ready to enter the workforce to think about where, you know, what's the deep part of my T? Where am I going to be a specialist? And then what are the things that I should at least become somewhat capable of, be conversant in so that I can add more value than just in that area where I've made the deepest investment? Yeah, and I wonder if it seems like there's a couple of different schools of thought around this. You know, like um, tr if we're following like the traditional education path, going to university and then going out into the workforce, you know, in theory, we have a lot more well-rounded individual who's had a lot of these other classes. But mm -hmm. do you feel like sometimes in the Valley where we have some of these code schools and stuff, is that one of the struggles with hiring people out of code school is that they don't have kind of the mm. that well-rounded, the, the extra T-shape, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. You know, I would rather hire somebody out of a code school who worked as a barista at Starbucks while mm -hmm. they did it oh, yeah. than Absolutely. hire somebody who, you know, their parents paid for them to get a CS degree from the University of Utah. Yeah. It's about being street smart, having communication skills and life skills as much as it is about having studied mm -hmm. lots of different things. And that's coming from somebody who, like I said, I've studied history, communications. I like to learn. I think, you know, we all in this industry probably have to have some innate desire to want to learn to keep pace with how quickly everything changes. But at the end of the day, man, if, if you've got some decent coding chops and then you're just willing to work really, really hard – You'll go so far here in Utah and the tech scene here. There's lots of jobs for people like that. Yeah. And I 100% actually agree. I have kind of a non-traditional path through my education as well and, and received my first programming jobs without having that formal education mm -hmm. um, and later was able to receive it. But uh, I think that that's a really important part of feeling confident for those that are kind of entering the space from one of those cold schools to not feel like that is like a detriment to right. – to their applying. Cool. Yeah. I think your your T-shaped person thing is interesting and it also strikes me that that shape of person, if your goal is to to sort of move up in into management positions, those folk make some of the best managers because mm -hmm. you're sort of more effective at understanding what the people you're managing, what their needs are if you have at least some little bit of depth in the areas that they might be trying to to do their job in. So it sort great of works point, uh, Absolutely. It's a great point. Um, I'll just make one more point on that subject that, you know, the CTO role is one where there's a lot of variability in it from company mm -hmm. to company, especially if you're depending on the domain you're in. Sometimes the CTO is like a chief architect where they don't really have direct reports. Um, but here in Utah, what I've seen, a lot of the companies here, the CTO, not only do they have direct reports, a lot of times they have the whole R&D organization, including product even, yeah. reporting up through them. And uh, if you came into the industry the way it sounds like all of us did, you know, and <laughs> a little bit of interesting degree path, you know, kind of a, a story and a journey, we'll learn very quickly that the people that we hire that are working for us are much more capable in their roles than we are, mm -hmm. right? Might have a title of CTO. But that head of product better be better at product than you are. And your chief <laughs> architect better be better at architecture than you are yeah. to really build a successful company, right? And so uh, I think, you know, for all those aspiring CTOs out there, like get comfortable early with the idea that you'll be successful if you can hire people who are better at their jobs than you are <laughs> and then just do your best to support them and get out of the way right, yeah. um, while they build something amazing, you know? Well, and I think it's important as a manager in any discipline to just surround yourself with smart people and have people you can trust that, uh, you know, maybe know more than you and not feeling like you need to be on an ego trip to feel smarter than everyone else. So, 
Amen. Yeah. <laughs> so um, just some kind of quick fire questions here about motivasi and the tools you use. Well, first of all, is there any tool that you couldn't live without that uh, could live without or couldn't live without <laughs> <laughs> at Motivocity? Sure. You know, we're really lucky. Motivocity is a pretty modern platform. It's 100% cloud, mm-hmm. uh, 100% in AWS. We take advantage of a lot of the services that AWS provides, everything from, you know, ECR, you know, where we store our, our Docker containers to, um, you know, Amazon Comprehend for natural language processing. Like we're, we're pretty tethered to those yeah. guys at this point. And <laughs> I feel okay with, with that because it allows us to be really nimble, like extraordinarily nimble. Um, we're, you know, able to deploy every day, you know, continuous delivery. We've got a pretty good automated test suite. And this is one of the reasons why Motivocity I think is growing so fast mm-hmm. is because we're able to, to move on product extremely quickly, especially for the size of company that we have. Sure. Yeah. So what do you guys use for source control? You use we use GitHub. Git, GitHub. Yep. GitHub for source control, Travis for continuous integration. Nice. Oh, we auto-deploy all of our, you know, I mentioned our artifacts, right? We're pushing those up and using code build in AWS to generate our Docker containers. And then we use we can use Elastic Beanstalk to easily stand up a whole cluster, Motivocity cluster, cloud formations plus EBS. Yeah. So, you know, East Coast, West Coast, it's it's pretty flexible. Probably the most modern platform I've had the privilege of working on. Nice. Um yeah, in my career so far. What do you use for ticketing? Uh, uh, our ticketing system, Freshdesk, yeah. and actually Workfront. So, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> kind of comes with the territory, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I use Workfront for so many different things, from managing the agile sprints to you know doing all the reporting and dashboarding, issue nice. tracking, dealing with the SOC two. We got a SOC two <laughs> audit coming up, so you know Workfront's great for project management. Nice. And it's free for us since the chairman of the board, you know, is the CEO <laughs> of Motivocity. So that works out. I noticed you had a, a connection to uh, Matthew Barlocker mm-hmm. on uh, on LinkedIn. I was wondering if maybe you guys use Blue Manador. <laughs> <laughs> um, back, it, you know, I don't know him directly. I think I think we were introduced at one point at a conference. Um, so yeah, no no Blue Matador for me, but oh, okay. you know, <laughs> utmost respect for those guys. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a pretty cool product or service that they're providing. It so. is, yeah. Um, okay. Well, uh, that kind of draws things to a conclusion here, but, you know, I was wondering if there was something that you wanted to either promote to our audience or if you guys are hiring, if you guys do sure, recruitment, sure. some well, contact information or something like if that. If I could, yeah, I mean, if I could promote one thing, it would, it would be simply to mention this. We've been talking a lot about interviewing, right? This podcast has probably been focused towards folks getting ready to enter the industry or that have not been in the industry for very long. Even though we have three amazing four-year schools just right around here in the form of BYU, University of Utah, and UVU, right? Mm-hmm. We've got Utah State right up the road graduating tons of CS majors every single year. We are still a net exporter mm-hmm. of computer science jobs. And this is at the same time as we have literally thousands of unfilled CS positions here at the tech companies in Utah. And Silicon Slopes, this area I mentioned at the start, you know, is incredibly vibrant. It's growing like crazy. Uh, but there are lots of places around the country that are also growing that are also interesting. If if I had one, you know, thing to plug, it would simply be this. If you've got the talent, if you're, you know, a product person or an engineer or you're or you've got an idea for a company, stay in Utah. You know, help us build this community. Yeah. It creates so many opportunities not just for us, but for the people around us, for our families and our friends. It keeps Utah 
vibrant and interesting and cool. This is where we should be. There's no better place to build a career than here in Utah. So stick around, ply your trade, and and maybe you'll find you know fame and fortune as well. <laughs> and I agree. Definitely stay in Utah and, and share the fun with us there. <laughs> awesome. Well, first of all, super appreciate you coming out, Jesse. Appreciate Sorrow being a co-host here. Just want to remind everybody that we are on uh, all the social media, all the good social media platforms and the bad ones too. And uh, and and the um, we're on most podcast uh, platforms as well. So uh, check us out, like and subscribe. Hit us up at uh, utahctoshow at gmail.com if you have some feedback. And if you have people that you'd like to be on the show or if you have any questions. Really appreciate all our listeners. Thank you. If your computing infrastructure is running in a cloud service like AWS or Azure, you've likely sunk time into manually configuring and maintaining a monitoring tool. Tasks like understanding baselines, fine-tuning thresholds, and examining visualizations for defects require significant time and effort, taking time away from your most important priorities. Wouldn't it be nice if you could automate this monitoring and alerting process? That's where Blue Matador comes in. Unlike all other monitoring tools on the market, Blue Matador eliminates the need to manually configure alerts. After a quick onboarding, Blue Matador instantly discovers all of your resources, automatically creates hundreds of alerts out of the box, and proactively notifies you of critical production issues. This saves you massive amounts of time and ensures that you'll always know the health of your cloud services. And right now, they are providing a special offer to our listeners here on the Utah CTO Show. Just head to bluematador.com slash show. Sign up for a free trial and integrate your AWS account or Kubernetes account for 14 days, and they will send you $100. They are so confident that you'll love their product that they are offering our listeners 100 bucks just to try it. So go to bluematador.com slash show to start your free trial today. Terms and conditions apply.